Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of January 31st from Pastor Brett Cottrell. We have been in Acts now for some time. And over the last couple of weeks, we have seen the man Stephen arrested and on trial. And we have seen his defense or the things that he mentioned as he faced that trial. This morning, we're going to see the outcome of it. I think many of us probably already know what takes place. Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would, through your spirit and through the living word that you've given us to read this morning, that your work in our lives would be done and that we would see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hard numbers are difficult to, uh, to come across because so many unknowns are, are out there around the world. But it is estimated that even today, in the last 10 to 15 years, that roughly somewhere between 4,500 to 9,000 Christians are killed for their faith every year. Today, the, the, the 21st century. Now, some uh, estimate those numbers to be even higher but it's, it's, again, it's difficult to know for sure what those numbers are. But even today, on average, at the very least, eight to ten Christians are killed for their faith every day around the world. And we see this morning the account of Stephen, uh, generally recognized to be the first martyr, the first one who was killed for no other reason than the fact he proclaimed his faith in Christ alone. We're going to see a couple of things in Stephen's life this morning. <clears throat> we're going to see what he saw before his death, and we're going to see some power in that. But I have to admit, this, this, this week I found myself asking a question about all this. And it's a question that, go, well, we shouldn't ask that. Well, yeah, I think we should. And the question simply is this. Why? Why would Stephen be willing to die for this? Why are many, even today, thousands and thousands every year willing to die because of a faith in Christ? What is it about our Lord and Savior that, would, that, that makes someone willing to experience what Stephen experienced here in Acts chapter 7 and what so many have experienced throughout the centuries? There are untold 
hundreds of thousands, if not millions, throughout the centuries who have died for no other reason than the fact they placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Why would they do that? What is it that causes them to have that level of commitment to Christ? Well, I think we'll see a glimpse of that this morning in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Now, just to remind you, <clears throat> here's what's happened the last couple of weeks. Stephen is on trial. He's been accused of some things, but it boils down to this. He has placed his faith in Christ as the Messiah, and the ones around him aren't too sure about that. And as he has gone on trial, we saw last week, he gave a, a lengthy defense that, to sum it up, essentially the history of Israel and saying that the history of Israel, the, the history of God's work among His people, was all pointing to the arrival of Jesus. And He says, you guys call me a blasphemer. You guys accuse me of misrepresenting God. But here's the truth. All of God's work through centuries and centuries of history has led up to the arrival of the Messiah. And by your refusal to acknowledge that, you have misunderstood your own history, you have missed your own testimony, if you will, and you are the blasphemers, Jesus, or, uh, Stephen says. Now, this is obviously difficult for them to hear. They had misunderstood the history of God's work around them and in them as a people and as a nation. I began asking this question even on even myself this week. We all, perhaps, if you are this morning here with a testimony of salvation in Christ. You can point to a day or a time or a moment when you know you asked Jesus to forgive you for your sins. You placed your faith upon the fact that He had uh, died on the cross for you and resurrected on the third day after that. And your eternity is in His hands. And you know you've done that. Whether you can pinpoint the exact minute or not, you know that's your testimony. You know there was someone who told you about that. You know there's probably people who had been praying for you. And perhaps even since that moment, you, you know of some people who prayed for you, who worked to bring that about. It's been some 15, 16, 17 years now. I was a youth pastor in Texas. We were at youth camp. And we had a young lady who had been uh, coming to our youth group for some time. And sweet, quiet young lady. But she also had an air of, of uh, kind of depression and desperation about her. She was just someone that tugged at our heartstrings and my heartstrings and for for months i began to pray for her at youth camp that summer she'd been coming for about six or seven months she recognized the spirit of god's work in her heart and she asked me to pray with her she wanted to accept christ and alan i'm sure will testify to this there's few things that give you more joy than something like that when that when that request comes so we sat down and we prayed that night, and, and then we had, a, we had a, that was in the, worship, in, the, in the worship service, and we had a church, the way the schedule worked, we had a church group time after the worship service, and in that group time, she told everyone what had happened, and the truth is, it wasn't just me, there were several of the folks in that room who had been praying for her for quite a bit of time, and we told her that night, oh, we're so glad, because we had been praying for you for months. She kind of had this stunned look on her face, she meant, what, what do you mean you've been praying for me? Well, we, we've been praying for you for months. And we knew this day was going to happen. We just did. And she goes, you prayed for me? You knew this was going to happen? I said, yes. <laughs> and that floored her. And, and now it's part of her testimony. 
And every one of us, perhaps, this morning, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, has some story of something that God has done in our lives, something we've recognized Him do, whether it's the, the witness or the prayers of someone around us or whether it's praying for someone else. We have seen God not only bring us to salvation, but perhaps we have stories this morning of things that God has done throughout the course of our life. Maybe we have stories of what God did in the generations before us. I can tell you stories of what God has done in the lives of my parents. I remember the, my mom and dad telling me about how they came to serve the Lord. And that's part of my heritage. Now, the, that's a, it's a great heritage. It's a great story. It's a great testimony. The people of Israel had a great testimony going back to Adam and to Noah and really to Abraham and from there forward of all these things God had been doing through the centuries for them and through them as the people of God. And yet here they are in Stephen's day and they've missed the entire point of all of it. <clears throat> what a tragedy. They had come to think too little of the God that had called them to be a people and they had thought too highly of their own role. They had missed who God was and is and they had missed the point of their own history. I wonder if we just take a few moments this morning to pause and even ask ourselves this question. Have we sometimes missed the point of what God has done in our lives? If we were to go back and see all the things that God's done, do we think it's all just about us or do we realize that God is making His name great through us? Have we missed what God is doing in our own lives? Well, this is what Stephen has laid at their feet. And through Scripture, Stephen has pointed out all that has taken place and what the point of their history, of the testimony of Israel, what it should have been. See, here's what happened. Israel understood their own history apart from Scripture. Now, that sounds like a remarkable thing to say, but here's what took place. They understood, instead of understanding their own story through Scripture, they understood Scripture through their story. Y'all catch the difference there? I need to understand what takes place in my life, not based upon simply my experience. I need to understand my experience as interpreted by Scripture. If I want to know why something happened, what something means, I don't just base it upon my experience. I base it upon my experience as understood by Scripture, by the Word of God. See, what Stephen did in that sermon we, mentioned, we looked at last week is he had woven Scripture into all this to point out to them where they missed the meaning of what God had done. We need to understand our lives and our own testimonies and our own experiences through Scripture and not understand Scripture through our testimonies. And by that I mean this. And this is kind of a, a negative example. You've probably heard me say this before. Uh, years ago when I was in seminary, I, I had a professor. And the professor was a theology professor. He was teaching theology. He was teaching what it is that we're supposed to know about who God is. And this professor had undergone a great personal tragedy his wife had had an extended bout of cancer and it was a particularly painful form of cancer that took several years and eventually she passed away now i've never experienced something like that and i don't pretend to understand what he and his wife the pain that they were going through I don't, i'm not going to pretend to understand that but the result was that this man who was teaching theology at a southern baptist seminary had decided that based upon his experience with cancer, his wife's experience with that pain, that God 
couldn't heal or God wouldn't heal. And so now he had a different view of God. A view of God that was not consistent with the God as portrayed in Scripture. He had interpreted Scripture through his experience, and he had not interpreted his experience through Scripture. You all see the difference now? So the people of Israel had done this. They had missed the meaning of their own testimony, of their own history, because they had not clearly seen God and His Word. They had not understood it properly, so they missed it. And when Stephen pointed this out, you would hope for repentance, but instead they, in verse 54, says they gnashed their teeth at Him. Have you ever been so angry that you just clenched your jaw and if there was something between your teeth, you had smashed it? You ever been that angry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and maybe you didn't clench your teeth, but you tensed up. You've been that, that's what these guys are. These guys have been confronted with the truth of who God is. And their response is one of anger. Gnashing their teeth, clenched jaws, tensed up fists. They don't like what he said. Now you can just see this. This is kind of, you know, that, that previous chapter, this, this previous 50-something verses where Stephen's saying all this. You can just perhaps in your mind's eye see them gathered around Stephen and at each point he makes as he tells a story, they're just getting angrier. Their faces are getting redder. Their eyes squintier. And then finally, at the end of his story, he says this. Well, this happens. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God. Let's just stop there. He's telling the story of their history. He's giving them their testimony of all that God has done and what it means. They're getting angrier and angrier. And as he wraps up his story, he's not even looking at them anymore. It's kind of like he's looking right past them. In fact, he is. In fact, it says he's looking intently in heaven. Now, I'm going to say this here. Heaven is not a location just over the guy's shoulder over there. <laughs> He's not just kind of looking past the guy's head and see something behind him and staring at it. Heaven's not that geographic location there. Heaven's not even maybe just above our heads, and he's looking at something that... He's looking spiritually into something that they can't see. He's recognizing something that the rest of them aren't recognizing, and he is gazing intently at it. He's staring at it. That, that word seen throughout the New Testament and scriptures, and it's got this idea of just, you're honing in. You ever had that moment where you got so focused on something else that everything else kind of faded into, into, into non-existence? Wives, I'm sure you see this all the time with your husbands. Angela can give you testimony to this. Yesterday afternoon, Arkansas and Oklahoma State basketball, it's a tie game, 30 seconds left. Know what happens if you're trying to get my attention at that point in time? Good luck. My intention is intent. I'm gazing at something there. Stephen has gotten to the point where the story he's telling, the things that God is doing at that moment, he's no longer even focused upon them. He's what? He's focused upon heaven. He sees a picture of God and Christ before him, and everything else begins to fade. He's gazed intently, and here's what he sees. He sees intently the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
The rest of them don't see this. I was reminded of the story in 1 Kings, uh, the story of Elisha. You may remember the story of Elisha and his servant are in the city. Uh, there is a, an invading army that wants to come after Elisha. The servant walks out and he sees that overnight this invading army has surrounded the city that, that, that he's in and he knows that they're after his, his master, Elisha. Elisha, come quick. You never go see this. It's bad. Elisha walks out and goes, what's the big deal? Don't you see the army? Elisha even says, don't you see the real army? Because <laughs> Elisha saw the heavenly army outside of the earthly army. He saw something his servant didn't see. And not too distant future from Acts chapter 7, this man Saul, who is keeping all the robes, he himself will have an incident when he sees something out of heaven that no one else sees. Stephen sees the glory of God in heaven. And he can't help but do something in response to this. He cries out, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Again, have you ever had that moment when you saw something and the, the response kind of came out of your voice, out of your throat, before you even realized that you were in control of it? That's kind of how I have this picture in my mind. Stephen has shared all this. He sees this picture of God's glory. That can't do anything but make you in awe. And he sees his Savior standing at the right hand of the Father and the glory that's all around him. And he goes, oh, I see this. And he did it maybe even before he thinks about it. And he just comes out. This is what I see. I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Wow! Now, in a certain sense, Jesus, uh, Stephen said the exact wrong thing at the wrong time because the moment these guys hear him say that, they go from clenched fists and teeth to, it says, with one impulse, they just rushed him and grabbed him and drug him out of the, of the sea limits. So in one sense, you're kind of going, Stephen, that's great, you saw it. Just keep your mouth shut and you'll be okay. But he can't help it. He has seen the majesty and the glory of God. He has seen his Lord and Savior. And he shouts it out. I see heaven opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now that phrase there, Son of Man, that's a, that's a key one. You may remember in the Gospels when Jesus is on trial before this exact same council, somewhere maybe two or three years prior to this, that while on trial, they ask him, who are you? And Jesus essentially says, there will be a day you will see the Son of Man, referring to himself. He says the same phrase, you will see the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. And that's when the Pharisees of the council begin spitting at him and beating him and cursing him when he says that because they realize what he's saying. And of course, this phrase, Son of Man, all goes all the way back to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. So what Stephen is saying here is these, to these guys, the very one that I now belong to this one named Jesus who you killed a couple of years ago. He is my Lord, and I see Him right now at the hand of the Father. And that just brings not only their own story back to them, it brings their own sin from two years back to them. They see all kinds of problems with that, and they just lose it. I don't know that Stephen even went into this conversation with the intent of saying, I'm going to be a martyr. I doubt he did that. 
I really don't think Stephen went into this whole thing thinking he was going to be killed. They had seen several men arrested. Peter and John had been arrested a couple different times by this point. But nobody had been killed. I don't know that Stephen went into this idea or this trial with that idea being, that t- taking place. But when he says this, when he tells the truth, when he says what he sees, when he gives testimony to the glory of God, they rush him and they take him outside to kill him. Again, why did Stephen go to these links? Was he out of control? Just blurted it out? Maybe. It's possible. I could see that happening. But I think there's something else that's exciting too. We've probably all been, we've all seen those videos. You see them on Facebook or you see them on the news from time to time when uh, one, of our, one of our soldiers, one of our veterans, he's been overseas for a couple of years, he has a couple of kids. And then they, they arrange one of those reunions kind of in public at a school or an airport or whatever else. And you see the reunion, right? And how do those reunions go? You, you see some four, five, six, seven-year-old kid who hasn't seen his dad for a year. And dad pops up behind his back or out of a costume or you know, whatever it is. And what happens? What's the response? It, it's joy. It's tears. It's it's. Good luck trying to get between those two. It's gonna, the reunion is going to happen, isn't it? And there's joy in it. Because there's a relationship there. There's a bond there that pre-exists the separation. Let me share with you. I think one thing that's going on here is this. Stephen, one of the reasons this is so powerful, one of the reasons this takes place, one of the reasons Stephen is willing to testify, even to the point of death, is he sees his Lord. And there ain't nothing going to come between him and that reunion. He sees him. And there's, there's already, if you will, a communion, a shared life, a joy, an adoration. Put whatever word you want to put in there. They love one another. And Stephen sees his Lord. He sees him in all his authority. He sees everything he knows to be true confirmed. And that hug, if you will, is not going to be denied. (laughs) Stephen had already shared a communion, if you will. All that word means is a sharing. He He already knew his God. And he didn't know him in the academic sense that he could give you a theological definition of him. He didn't know him simply in the sense he could write you some notes about who God was. He didn't have to just write an outline. He knew his God, not from an outline, but because he knew him as a relationship. And because Stephen already knew him, because there was already a love-based relationship with one another, it wasn't just a knowing about someone, that reunion was incredible. Stephen had come to know his God. I wonder if sometimes the reason we so often maybe have trouble telling people about Christ is because we haven't seen Him. Or maybe we don't even really know Him that well. I'm just asking the question. Maybe the reason that the opportunity to join people and come in a room and celebrate and worship and make His name known and to be in His presence because we don't really know Him that well to begin with. 
Maybe one reason we don't tell other people about him with the same enthusiasm and passion that Stephen did is because we don't really know him. We haven't encountered him recently. Or maybe even at all. Let me suggest, not to be too, too trite here in a saying, but let me suggest that Stephen probably never felt more alive than in the following moments when he was dying for Christ. Because he knew his God. Stephen sees him because of his shared adoration relationship with God. He just blurts it out. Here's what I see. He gives, he gives testimony, if you will. He's a witness to what he sees. Now, why did Stephen, why was he willing to give that witness even ultimately to the point of death? Because he loves his Lord. Paul and the, the the one who will be the one who's holding the robes here will in the coming years in Philippians three he will say this. Let me just read it for you. So they get to it. Philippians three, he says this. <clears throat> I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found to him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship, the communion, the sharing of his sufferings. When we love someone, we want to share their life. We want to be part of all that they experience, positive or negative, difficult or easy. Stephen knows his Lord has suffered and died just a couple of years before this, perhaps. <clears throat> And Stephen, as he sees his risen Lord empowered in glory and the world around him fades, he sees the one who will share with Stephen the glory and resurrection that the Lord only possesses. And Stephen is going in his own mind, I would think, that's a fair trade. <laughs> I'll take that. And so he shares it. <clears throat> he is sharing not only the glory of God, he is sharing the sufferings of Christ. Now, I want you to understand, we, we talk about crucifixion a lot. As Easter, as, as, as Easter come up here in a couple months, and as Christians we talk about crucifixion and what Christ went through on the cross. Let me show you what being stoned to death looked like. It's where they... Essentially, just a mob gets around you, and actually, here, what it is, the, the witnesses, so the people that were on the trial who were accusing Stephen, once he's been found guilty, those witnesses will be the ones who gather around, and they'll pick up rocks. Now, I'm not talking the type of rock that's so big it takes three guys to, you know, Stephen, you sit there while we put this boulder on your head. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking rocks, things you can pick up in your, in your, in your hand. 
and they would throw rocks at him until he was dead. That's it. I would imagine the process is somewhat slow depending on where they hit you. I mean, they depending on how good of a shot they are. How quick you are. <laughs> they just throw rocks at him until he's dead. That's how it works. That's how they take him out of town, just throw rocks at him until they hit him, until they hit him enough time in the head that he passes out and eventually dies. And in that process, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he says, don't hold this sin against them. Does that sound like some, something we've heard before? The truth is, this entire account in Acts chapter 7 is written in such a way as to mirror intentionally the trial and the death of Christ. From the trial to the specific accusations to Stephen's talking about the Son of Man, to ultimately these two last prayers of Stephen. They're all meant to intentionally bring to our minds what happened to Christ. And we're to, we're to see how these two things mirror one another. And we're being told by God and the author of Acts that this happened to Christ, and he told us we could expect something similar. And now we have another one in Stephen who has shared, in some ways a fairly literal way, the events of what took place in Christ. And we can expect the same thing. He did, in fact, share in the sufferings of Christ so that he would, as well, share in the resurrection. There is a, a book, I think I mentioned it before, it's been a little while, by an author named Nick Ripkin <clears throat> called The Insanity of Christ. And the first half of the book is much of uh, Mr. Ripkin's life as a missionary, some things that he endured. The last half of the book is a collection of stories and accounts from believers around the world in the 20th century mostly, and, the, and detailing some of the stories of persecution. Uh, he wrote this book about 20 years ago, so it details a lot of accounts of things that took place in the latter half of the 20th century, especially under some place, in places like China and the former Soviet Union and East, Eastern Europe. He tells one story in particular of a man by the name of Stoyan. Now, this is a made-up name. It's not the guy's real name. Stoyan, his father was a pastor in an Eastern European Russian bloc country back in, the, back in the Cold War days. And at the age of 12, he saw his father, a pastor, arrested for no other reason than the fact he was a Christian pastor. And for the first nine months, they really weren't allowed to see him, but once or so, But his father told him the story that the, the guards, they weren't content just to have someone in prison. They wanted to mentally break down and destroy you. And so he had one guard in particular that every morning they would bring him a piece of toast for breakfast. But before he would bring the toast to him, I'll try to put this as delicately as possible, the guard would spread on the toast his own waste and give him the toast. They got to see his dad, uh, well, the one time he saw his dad in that time period, he told his father, told his father I'm proud of you. Twelve year old son tells his father he's proud of him for doing this. And after nine months, he and his mother get one quick visit with 
his dad before his dad shipped off to the place they don't really know where he's going to be at. His mom tries to slip her dad or his dad a Bible. The guards catch them and say, don't you know this is the reason he's in here to begin with? Don't you know that I could kill you and kill your son and kill your husband right now and would be applauded for it? And the mom says, you can kill my son, that's true. And you can kill me and you can kill him, but you cannot separate us from the love of God. He says, I remember telling my mom, I'm so proud of you. He got to see his dad two times for an hour apiece over the next 10 years. And at the age of 22, his dad, his, at the age of, historian's age of 22, his dad is finally released. And not just a few months after his release from prison, he gets a call from an older lady who says, my son is diabetic and has lost his sight and is in great pain. Would you come, would, would, can you get hold of some medicine? Well, he didn't know if he could, but he was able to finally wrangle up some medicine for pain. There was at this point nothing that could be done for, the, for, the, for her son. As he got the medicine and went to this elderly lady's apartment, and she showed him, uh, or she showed him her son, as he got close, he described shock as he realized that the man dying in bed was the man who spent nine months putting waste on his toast. He gave him medicine, eased his pain, prayed for him, shared with him. What is it that drives the people of God to do such things? <clears throat> because like Stephen, when we have seen God, the things of this world fade. and We don't see simply someone who tortured me. We see the glory of Christ behind me. Because we see our Lord in all His glory and we're reminded of what He has done for us and what He has given us. Because through my own testimony, through my own history, I realize that all that has been done has led me to a life that now belongs to Him and will receive the same glory, will receive the same eternal life that Christ has. He will share it with me. And knowing that, knowing what Christ did, knowing what Christ prayed, not just for others, but for me, I see all that. And I pray for, and I help even those who would kill me. Because I don't see them through earthly eyes. I am seeing what Stephen sees.